Welcome to another episode of Sound Saints, a podcast aimed at helping the saints of God think sound thoughts. My name is Clint Ebersbacher, I'm the senior pastor at Hingham Church. My name is Kurt Dalmas, and I am an elder at Hingham Church. Today we have a special guest, Liz Ebersbacher, because we wanted to do some, uh, just some discussion on... She is really special. Really, really special. When you say special, hey. do you mean special case or, you know, just hey, no. special in good way? I am I'm, sitting I'm, right here. I'm just agreeing with you. That's all I'm doing. No. Hey. Never mind. No, go ahead. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. No, life is good. Appreciate you being here. We wanted to talk about some stuff and we're going to be trying it in a different location. So we're messing with a new microphone and everything. So hopefully everything works or this will just all be for practice. But thanks for coming to my house today, and thanks for tripping all over my kids' gear. We are getting ready to take her off to school tomorrow, mm-hmm. so it's, yeah. I'm just going to tell you this is not normal, even though this is probably the normal layout of our house. But Yeah, I've, I've been here before a couple of times, and it hasn't looked the same, so I'm just trying to decide whether or not you guys are actually hoarders. It seems like you <laughs> are sometimes and are not at other times. See, we always talk about getting out the dumpster, but I want to throw away Michelle's stuff, and she wants to throw away my stuff, so it really never gets that far. Yeah. I Mutual destruction pact. Good times. But uh, Hingham Church, we've really been talking about family worship and what does that look like. And I know that you guys have been going through some things with family worship and just thought it would be a a great way to just kind of discuss, you know, what does it look like for family worship in the household? So that being said, I just wanted to start off with a couple of questions, you know, like how do you guys tell which toothpaste is yours or which color toothbrush you use? Is that something that... (laughs) <laughs> Clint keeps his separate and hidden away from everybody else's toothpaste. And that's and because the kids put their toothbrushes on top of each other when they're done using them, and everybody else's toothbrushes touch each other in the house. So I get grossed out by that. We also, all get sick that way. yeah, also when they get strep, strep throat, I do not. So <laughs> that's been the way we've done it. My toothpaste <laughs> is the tube that's the cleanest. There you and then go. The kids. Caleb has just recently decided he has to have his own toothpaste tube because he can't handle how the girls make <laughs> theirs messy. Really, it's just our youngest that makes it messy. Yeah, yeah I understand but, completely. So yeah, I understand. It's all good. <laughs> so who hogs the bed the most? I think we pretty evenly divide it. Yeah, yeah. We, no kidding. We uh, and and you know, it's it, we just find it to be good practice to draw a line straight down the uh, center of the bed and never cross it. So, yeah. Nice. Somehow White piece of tape. And somehow magic happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so awkward. Uh, it's our household. I always know when I've been hogging the bed because I wake up alone. Either that or, yeah, she'll take the covers and cocoon herself all in them and then I get freezing and, you know. Yeah. But, you Liz, know. Liz definitely does that sometimes. We, we, we definitely get along. It's just one I of those things. I can't really get over to that side because Clint has so ensconced himself in pillows like he's got like seven so i just i have to stay on my side because there's a wall like a literal pillow wall that i can't cross all right so it's like a barrier we build forts the wall of clint that's (laughs) awesome (laughs) when did you guys first meet ninth grade your ninth grade yours tenth grade my tenth grade yep Mm -hmm. high school yep nice love at first sight oh no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, no. 
love that like 10 years later (laughs) (laughs) yeah no we were just friends we ran in the same group of kids and did extracurricular stuff together and always hung out but we just weren't i don't know it wasn't like that we were really good friends especially by the time i graduated we were really good friends but no it just wasn't i don't know i just thought of him as a friend and a brother not really like a boyfriend material it's probably so, a good way for things to develop, right? No pressure at first. Get to know each other. And I, I didn't have much of a beard back then. Yeah. So, but that might have made a difference. It, it might have. Yeah, if you could have grown one in high school. I don't know if you could have <laughs> grown one or not. You looked really different in high school, too. Like Once I realized that I could buy you better clothes and tell you to grow a beard, <laughs> it helped a lot. Because mm. <laughs> I'm not shallow or anything. <laughs> Nobody is in high school. Nope, never. Oh, awesome. Man. So here's going to put you on the spot. Do you remember your first dance? <laughs> that would be never. Never. We, never. we don't really dance. Wedding when dance? You say we, you mean you. Well, if, if I don't dance, then we don't dance. I dance, just not with you. Okay. Like, by myself. So it could be like or... me, just kind of stand like a pole and let her kind <laughs> Clint, of dance around. For a long me. time, no, for a long time, Clint was morally opposed to dancing. I so see. he did oh. not. And in a lot of ways, a lot of the dancing today that oh, goes on, smokes. I am very still. Uh, very oppo- still. Opposed to. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if it was the 1950s or something and people were doing those kinds of dances... But I feel like it's a kind of a different thing. So yeah. Not getting into all the butt shaking and everything that's going on these days. And I don't even remember what the terms are for Twerk. these things. There you go. Uh, Liz, Liz made me chaperone a high school dance with her once. Uh, <laughs> several years ago. Back in like 2009 or so. And, and uh, so I went to that. Very uncomfortable. And I go in there. And it was one of the grossest things I've ever seen before in my life. Liz, wasn't even that bad. Liz, that's not true. I mean, on a spectrum of what you could encounter at sure, a high school dance. Sure, but it was it was, it was terrible. I mean, the kids were like all over each other. I, the teachers couldn't even pass between the kids. They had to like pull them apart. It was gross. Yeah, yeah, maybe he the was six not foot. Happy with me. Six foot distancing then maybe would have been a good thing back then already. <laughs> yeah, right. I doubt it works today yet even. No. So getting into the ministry, was that something that you had kind of started on your own or was that something you guys had kind of worked into together or just a little history there would be awesome? Uh, well, I, I had already decided to go to Bible college long before we considered dating. Um and we dated the first time right after I graduated from Bible college, and I, I wasn't really sure, um, I wasn't really sure what was ahead for that, but I uh, knew I wanted to be involved in ministry in some way. So Liz eventually came along, but she kind of knew by the time we started dating that that was that was just a part of it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know what it would look like exactly, but we we knew that was I knew that was part of the deal. So, yep. it's good knowing going in anyway, right? Yeah. The funny thing is, so when I was a teenager and I was, you know, cause we think a lot in Christian circles in the nineties and early two thousands, think about your spouse, what you're looking for, prepare yourself for that. All this stuff. It's like, I'm not going to marry a farmer. I'm not going to marry <laughs> a doctor and I'm definitely not going to marry a pastor. 
And I think... She married a pastor that grew up on a farm. Yeah, that really backfired. Girls yeah. don't do that. Best laid plans, right? Pretty much. Oh, I hear you there. Yeah, another piece of advice. Don't marry a lumber salesman. They're barely ever home. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We're good guys, I promise. <laughs> so, yeah. So we came to talk a little bit about family worship. Mm-hmm. And I know that you guys practice it. And I was just kind of curious, you know, what that looks like. You know, um, how did it start? I mean, is there a routine that you go through? I don't want to ask 45 questions up front, but what did it look like maybe at first? Well, at first, uh, I think the earliest stages in, in the life of our family would have been when Caleb was about, our oldest was about four or five years old. And I just started reading the Bible with him. He's a very bright kid, basically taught himself to read. And so he was able to um, he was able to follow along with things that were more complex than what his age would typically allow for. And so once I noticed that, I wanted to get him into Scripture as much as I could. So we just started reading through narrative portions of Scripture together, the, the stories that you know kids can handle a lot more easily. Um, but that's kind of all we did at first, and it was mostly just me and him. Uh, but you you did some things with like uh, some of the some of the resources, like the Jesus Storybook Bible and things like well, that. Well, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So as a family, structuring intentional time with the kids to study the Word, we probably didn't start that till they were a little older. But we always, when they were small, we were talking about the Bible with them or, and especially because I was staying home with them, we talked, we did a, I started a little catechism. It's called the children's catechism with them when they were really little, like two or three. And it's really simple questions like, who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. And that's something that a toddler can repeat back. Um, But that was really just kind of at home, very, uh, What's the word? Just not structured at all. It was very organic, and it didn't really... We would read books together, and like Clint said, we used the Jesus Storybook Bible um, some. I think we got that as a gift when they were smaller, and that was really great. That actually probably had more impact on me reading it than it did on the kids when they were really little. Nice. Um, It's a really great little Bible. But, um, But yeah, we didn't really start getting structured and intentional about it until they were a little older. So when you say structured and more intentional, uh, what got, got you on that path? Or was it just things that you were trying to squeeze in time for or just want, wanted to do it a different way? Or Well, it probably was about five years ago. Um, mm-hmm. There was a book <clears throat> put out by a guy named Donald Whitney. Uh, he's, a, he's a pastor. And uh, the title of the book is Family Worship. And... It was a book uh, basically just aimed at equipping parents to worship together as a family. Um, The thesis of his book is God deserves to be worshipped by your family every day. And I could not argue with that. It's a tiny little book. It's not very long. I I have it here right in front of me. Um, But... Uh, but then he he's in, incredibly practical. Probably one of the 
the most amazing gifts that Donald Whitney has is just how practical he can make some of the disciplines of the faith. And so when he talks about family worship, he summarizes it with three words, and I, I just follow his example, and that's read, sing, pray. So um, in his mind, you, you sit down together with your family, you read the Bible together, you sing together, and you pray together. And that is essentially all that needs to happen in a moment where you can worship together as a family. So we probably did that. We started using that format almost right away after the book came out in 2016. Yeah, that seemed very manageable. Yep, for kids um, of any age. Yeah, and I think, as I know when I, we were first just talking through this when our kids were small, what discipleship kind of looked like, it was overwhelming because it felt like hmm. I had one vision of what that looked like in my mind based on the experiences I'd had with either other families that I'd interacted with or my own family growing up. And Clint had a different vision of what that could look like. And and it was kind of, it just was a challenge to find kind of a common ground. Try to find a way to get it to meld. Right, because I think we both had lofty goals, but especially for me, knowing what it was like to sit and work day in and day out with very small kids, trying to find something that was practical that was reasonable and not, uh, and that was age appropriate and not asking too much from them. It was a challenge for us to know what that looked like together. And this was just, it was very simple. And those are three words that are very memorable. And you, it's kind of like whatever that looks like for you in that moment. It can be 30 minutes or it can be 10 minutes. Those three elements, are, it's very flexible. So that worked really well for us. Yeah. Nice. So is the book, is it like a study guide then? Does it take you through the different scriptures or is it? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I mean, he talks through uh, all of the different texts and he, he talks through Abraham and Moses and Joshua and just some of the different examples we see in scripture of <clears throat> kind of what's expected of parents with their kids, how to disciple their kids, how to... to uh, bring them up in the faith. Um, I, I was really moved by his introduction. If I can just share two two quotes. From Absolutely. Him. He um, he mentions Charles Spurgeon, who uh, I enjoy Charles Spurgeon quite a bit. He was a, a British Baptist preacher in the 1800s. Uh, he's he's considered to be the prince of preachers. Everybody just marvels at at Spurgeon's preaching. But he says this, and I found this to be just incredibly incisive. Uh, and true not just of the 1800s, but maybe even more true of, of the church today. He says, Brethren, I wish it were more common. I wish it were universal with all Christians to have family prayer. Sometimes we hear of children of Christian parents who do not grow up in the fear of God, and we are asked how it is that they turn out so badly. In, many, in very many cases, I fear that there is such a neglect of family worship that it's not probable that the children are at all impressed by any piety supposed to be possessed by their parents. And just anecdotally, I've just found that to be true. In every context I've done ministry in, uh, there are parents who do not practice their faith at home in the presence of their kids really in any way, or it might be at most uh, saying a short prayer around the dinner table, and that's kind of the end of it. I would agree with that. And how can you expect your children to 
to, you know, learn how to pray, learn how to be in communication with God, learn how to talk about the Bible, and, you know, if you're not demonstrating them for it. So, well, I, I think what you're demonstrating is that you don't need it in your day-to-day life. Right. Yeah, you're still teaching them something. that's the thing. They're always learning from what you do. Even what you don't do is still teaching them something. And so maybe they're just learning, oh, this is what religion, this is what Christian religion looks like. Praying at a mealtime and going to church on Sunday. And then that's what they grow up thinking. Whereas, you know, for children who are more likely to stay faithful Christians as adults, it's that faithful daily practice of faith at home in the public square, not just on Sunday. And I think we were really convicted about that, just seeing, working with teens and working in schools and seeing a lot of kids just walking away from the faith of their parents and just knowing that we had to kind of live what we said was important. We had to live that out Monday through Friday as well as when we're when we were at church yeah and and uh the joke is a lot of times especially with uh, youth pastors and children's pastors is that you know parents tend to think well i drop my kids off at church for youth group and that's how they get their discipleship just like i drop my kid off for basketball practice and that's how they get coached in basketball but the bible's really clear on this Um, and actually most parents do know most parents actually know that they are primarily responsible for their kids' uh, development. In fact, uh, one other quote that that uh, Whitney provides here from a, he says a survey by a Barna Research Group uh, says this: eighty-five percent of parents with children under age thirteen believe they have primary responsibility for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual matters. However, a majority of parents don't spend any time during a typical week discussing religious matters or studying religious materials with their children parents generally rely upon their church to do all of the religious training their children will receive and so what you have there is just a blanket um, uh, statement essentially saying in general virtually all parents uh, christian parents who maybe even regularly attend church know and will even give affirmation that they are the ones primarily responsible and yet in practice they treat it as though the church is primarily responsible uh, and they do not even assist the church yeah, <laughs> with I think, that. I think we've seen that firsthand. And I think for a lot of them it's not that they, they don't want to, it's that it looks really daunting. Because I, I get that, like the idea of thinking, well I have to know all the answers or I have to be able to teach from scripture to my kids. I don't really understand scripture or what if they stump me with a question, where's the pastor when I need them type of thing. Right. It's this idea that they don't feel equipped to disciple their own children. And, and that's what I really, you know, I felt like this model was just so practical because everybody can, you can read it together and it's okay if you don't have all the answers. Uh, There's a lot of good other resources about which you might talk about in a little bit, but, um, to help with understanding, to help with some of those trickier portions of scripture where you might get a hard question, but just doing that. And you don't, you know, we don't do it perfectly. Um, We don't even do it every day the way that we would like to. Um, I I want to go back to what you were saying. I I think you're right. I think for some it's daunting because they're worried about 
being able to manage the content. But I think far more frequently, <clears throat> in my experience talking with parents, it's just because they don't make time for it. It's they busy. are so overcommitted to other things, uh, like sports or uh, just any number of different things that keep keep the Bible at bay and keep just quiet time with their family uh, really challenging. And, you know, with, with uh, depending on the age of your kids, you know, it can be really challenging when your kid is five years old. It's a different kind of challenge entirely when your kid is 15 years old. Sure. But there are challenges at every age, and then you've got children. You know, it depends on the family. Some families have only one or two kids, uh, and but but what if they're spread out by eight years in age? Or what if you have a family that's got six kids? And you know, it just there's there's all sorts of different things, mm-hmm. and every family has to work through those things for their family. But that's the reality, though. They they have to work through those things. Well, it comes down to exactly. <clears throat> that thesis of the book god deserves worship every day by your family he deserves Mm -hmm. that like do we really believe that that jesus is who he says he is that he really is king over everything i think we we give lip service to that a lot but then we fill our lives with all sorts of other things and really our schedules are king or really you know getting our kids scholarships that's really our priority or and it those are all really good things they're not they're not bad but i think we can get sidetracked and put jesus on the back burner because our lives are so important to us yes yeah what good is it if your kid becomes a really successful businessman or businesswoman and they're set professionally for life because you got them into the best school got them the best resume best experience to get the best job they don't know very much about Jesus Christ. Like in the grand scheme of things, what good is that? Are you really going to feel satisfied looking back on their years with you? Yeah, no, exactly. Life is so short to, to yeah. focus on just that. Just wanted to back up a little bit and talking about family prayer. What does it look like? The actual, when you, when you pray together? Well, so we pray uh, during family worship. Uh, that varies pretty regularly, um, but sometimes we'll have one of the kids pray. Sometimes it's us, uh, one of us praying. But uh, it, it we, and sometimes we just pray uh, in line with what we've read. Other times we will go around and just share prayer requests specific to the needs that we have going on that day. Uh, but we also pray at meal times, <clears throat> um, and. I try to pretty regularly remind the family uh, when we're eating that uh, the food that we're about to eat is not what we really need. What we really need is the Lord. And so it's not typically a prayer of gratitude for the food, um, but it's typically a a prayer of recognizing our need for the Lord. Um, I like that. And uh, and then we also also sing at meals, uh, which is a form of prayer, of course, but... We typically sing the doxology or a verse of one of the other hymns that, that we know well. and um, uh, Yeah. That's awesome. Clint, I can't wait to hear you sing. I was hoping you would demonstrate that for us before the podcast is over. Liz, I know you're a professional. He has a very nice voice. Yeah? Well, yeah, he does. I believe you. I just have yet to hear it. Yeah, I don't really have a nice voice, but that's okay. <laughs> Neither do I. It doesn't stop me. <laughs> I just use my voice to yell at people. That's what I do. 
Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Got to develop it somehow. 